Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, an oral history podcast about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. My mission here is to try to map out what my city, Leeds, a city that has declared a climate emergency, did during humanity's biggest emergency. On working hours, we hear how loiners have, are, and will be coping with our multiple and expanding crises during their day-to-day working hours. Can we turn things around? We'll find out. To tell this story, I need loiners. Loiners like you, dear listener. I need people in Leeds or people from Leeds to come on this podcast and just tell me what they do all day and let me record how this affects us. Thank you for listening. What did you want to be when you grew up? I was thinking about this and like a lot of maybe kids, I wanted to do something quite creative. Um, So basically, at some points I wanted to be an actor, at some points I wanted to be a musician and I always wanted to be an artist. I have literally no idea why, because mm. I didn't know what that meant, and none of my family are artists. So, yeah, that was a bit of an odd one. The the sort of acting, again, I think that was just a bit of a sort of flight of fancy, because I, I actually really, really don't enjoy sort of being artistic <laughs> or anything. Um, but... Yeah, I did sort of um, try dabble with a few different instruments and things, you know, sort of as a teenager. Um, but yeah, the, the art thing is the thing that sort of obviously stuck. Did you do any performance then? How much stage time did you do? Or did you just veer just, towards musical instruments to hide behind? Or um, Yeah, so just at school. But I mean, to be fair, I did actually join a band. I was despite the fact I said that I don't enjoy being on stage I actually did sing in a ska band when I was sort of around 20 to about 23 just a sort of local band um yeah which was quite fun but yeah again utterly terrifying um Mm. so no idea kind of it was just sort of one of those spur of the moment things that you just sort of decide one day to do with sounds You're listening to Series 4, Episode 11, and to my guest, Louise Atkinson. This is another Zoom interview, recorded on the 8th of February, 2023. Louise Atkinson is a visual artist, researcher, and educator specialising in the relationship between art and ethnography. She works in a range of media and techniques, including artist books, postcards, drawing, textiles, sculpture, and digital art, tailoring her approach to meet the requirements of the project or artwork. Her recent projects embody ideas of representation, artistic interpretation, curation, participatory practice and social justice. These include working as an artist researcher with colleagues across applied linguistics, disability studies and heritage. She is currently based at the University of Leeds as a visiting research fellow producing practice-based responses to Chinese wallpaper in British country houses to explore the ways in which the decorative arts 
form part of a broader cultural agenda, encompassing notions of taste, trade and national identity. She is also co-founder and director of the High Rise Project CIC, a social enterprise that aims to facilitate people in and around social housing to tell their own stories using art and creativity, as well as running the online visual arts opportunity platform Curator Space. In her spare time, she likes to learn languages. Right, let's do this. Episode 91 of Working Hours with Louise Atkinson. Cool. So I'll go straight into what you're doing now then. So what, what are you doing now? Um, now I'm a visual artist. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Go on. So, so what does that involve? Ex- explain, you know, wh- what's your day-to-day and what's it like? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not really a day-to-day as such. Like, it's not, wouldn't be a sort of, you know, every day I start, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's always varied and I think that's why I like it so as I said I have no idea why I sort of wanted to be an artist or how I became an artist in a way it was just sort of something you know I always wanted to do and then you know I I don't necessarily believe in fate but it feels very much like I knew that I was an artist before I became an artist Mm. yeah I I wanted to I, I kind of forgot about it for a while when I was a teenager sort of focused on GCSEs and I was sort of quite academically focused Mm. but then I sort of got to like 16 and I just sort of had enough of all that for a little a little bit so I just sort of took some time out after school and then ended up going back to it and when I was 20. Mm. So did you have any push to do like an office job or a day job or get a trade or? No, nothing really. I I mean, there wasn't any sort of pressure. It was just sort of like, I I just didn't feel passionate about anything Mm -hmm. in particular. So, you know, it was, it was almost like I had to have that time away just to remember what I actually wanted to do and what I valued, which was really, really useful. So visual artist, that's can be quite expansive. So is that film, photography, stage, painting, and, you know, vis- vi- the whole gamut of visual media? That, yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, I, I call myself a visual artist because I don't necessarily specialize in a particular medium. It just sort of depends on what the concept is and how that fits. Um, so I would say I don't generally paint. I'm not a painter. Um, I feel like that's quite a specific medium to choose. Um, I do use a lot of digital. I'm starting to use some more animation. I'm really interested in getting into AR. Um, I've done a lot of textile sculpture, ceramics, drawing, bookmaking. So basically, yeah, a lot of zines as well. So, yeah. Just basically, again, it's similar to the idea of, you know, just being in that visual artist in general. It's sort of on the, just take, going where the sort of idea takes me. Mm. So, I mean, you, you sent me a bunch of links yesterday of, of various things. So you're involved in a lot of projects and it seems to be a lot of project work. Yeah. But it also sounds like there's other things that you're doing alongside or to complement those projects as well I would assume 
that fairly large projects you would be seeking funding for and getting the funding and then working on a funding basis? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I do, at the moment, I'm regularly involved in a few projects. I run, um, I have my own practice. I run a community at CIC called the High Rise Project. I don't really want to talk too much about that because I think you will be talking to my colleague about at some point. Yeah. But I can mention, you know, bits and pieces. I run an arts opportunity platform called Curator Space, mm-hmm. which again sort of sits alongside the, the arts practice. And I'm also a visiting research fellow at the University of Leeds mm. uh, as a so so I have a PhD in fine art mm. as well. Mm. And I think I sent you on about a project called Multilingual Streets. So as well as being an artist uh, in my own right, uh, I work as an artist researcher alongside other researchers, mm. usually in um, social sciences. Yeah. So there's a big push towards social science to kind of use arts methods, to kind of explore these different questions from from a, an arts uh, and kind of broader humanities perspective. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I do work with um, linguists uh, and also people in disability studies mm. uh, to explore different questions around, yeah, the what the sort of stuff around multilingualism mm. And that I'm working on at the moment. So, um, so yeah, I'm also co-writing a book with the, with someone. So yeah, as I said, it's like it's hard to really quantify it. And when you say it out loud, it sounds quite overwhelming, and sometimes it's overwhelming. But it's 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 exciting. So let's talk process rather than practice. I mean, normally the question here is, how did you get into it? So I think these kind of go alongside each other potentially mm-hmm. for you. So, cause I'm imagining that it, it was a process of, you know, your practice, your practice was process it was just doing things and refining that and getting bigger and doing more complex things and trying new things. Is that fairly fair to say? Yeah, I would say that's, that's probably the best sort of way of describing it that, I've, that I think I've probably heard. It's yeah. just, yeah, there's, there isn't really a clear path mm. uh, as a visual artist. Um, it's not sort of like, I mean, there are pathways, but most of the way that people would understand being an artist is A, you're a painter and B, somebody kind of sells your work for you or you sell your work. Neither of those are really true for me. So I don't make work to sell i have sold work but not sort of intentionally yeah more more kind of it was yeah particularly during covid and obviously that maybe comes later but we yeah i I sort of did some paintings just to pass the time and i did put them online and then people buy them but i did try to sell them (laughs) so Yeah. yeah so so the process thing is is definitely something, yeah, it's very iterative. It's sort of, see what, you know, I've got this idea, you know, or maybe there's somebody else got an idea and they want me to work on it and then just see when we put those things together, what happens mm. and then keep going like this, basically. So so what would you say is your, your first time? What would you consider like your first kind of real piece of work? 
Well, actually, it's probably before I went back. So I did I did a foundation and then I did a degree. So probably before I did the foundation. So in between sort of leaving school and going back to, to college, yeah. I uh, sort of just started organizing exhibitions mm. with, yeah, with two other people. And yes, it was quite, yeah, self, self-organized, self-motivated before Facebook even. So uh, before MySpace. So <laughs> back in the day where we had to like actually go around and flyer places mm. to look for people. So yeah, I just started organizing exhibitions and kind of bringing people together and just learning on the job as it were, just sort of like just trying, you know, trying out different, different ideas. Mm-hmm. Were you in Leeds the whole of that time then? or That was actually in Wakefield. Right. We um, managed to get in touch with the curator of the the City Art Gallery at the time, so before the Hepworth, mm. as the City Art Gallery, um, and they just to, so happened to have a break in their program, so basically we could sort of use the one of the spaces for a month, and have like a little exhibition in there, and then we did we organised another exhibition in in Leeds underneath where Friends of Ham is now, mm-hmm. so that used to be an art sort of art gallery shop type thing and then they had a space underneath yeah that was that was quite it's quite funny to go back down there now i don't know if you've been to friends of hand but the yeah. smell from Id- Id- aromatics um which i noticed is just closed down as well so yeah just you know that very kind of sensory memory of that smell when you're vigilating in the space <laughs> sort of brought it all back <laughs> yeah yeah, it just smells are like instant, aren't they? Where you, mm. It'll just take you there in an instant. Yeah. So, so you've made it sound quite easy so far. So this is this is not the artist's story, is it? You know, we want we want struggle. So, what are what are the kind of the obstacles that you, that you faced? I mean, you must go through periods where, uh, like, you dry on ideas, or you're kind of like. You, you just feel creatively exhausted. Like what's, what are the kind of difficulties and the downsides? What, what have been the pitfalls so far? Obviously it's not easy. I'm, I'm sort of reflecting on like, I don't know, 17 years of, of practice. So, you know, when you reflect on it, it's obviously easier to see kind of the pathway. One thing led to the other. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, but I think the difficulties are still difficulties. So yeah, I, I don't think there's ever a, a shortage of ideas because there's just so much inspiration and it's just sort of, in, if anything, it's too many ideas. So, you know, as sort of as an artist academic, I also sort of work with students and, you know, I don't think artists have a problem of lack of ideas. It's just, yeah, you know, maybe this is sort of a generalization but often I see it's more the focus Mm. and that's definitely a a big issue for me is basically how do I focus on this one thing which I think the the variety is a way for me to almost not avoid it but circumvent it Mm -hmm. sort of keep that interest going Mm. but yeah so that focus can be a big challenge and, as I said, overwhelm uh, can be a big challenge because, uh, again, I think 
part of it is because as an artist, you well, even working and teaching students and things, I work on sort of short-term contract, like a freelancer, if not always on a freelance contract, which I which I prefer, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that it's hard to turn work down because mm-hmm. one of those kind of feast or famine things and you just feel like, oh, I need to make sure there's always something in the pipeline. That's a challenge. But from a from a, a perspective of, you know, being self-employed or being on your own in a way, you know, it's it's difficult. You don't have anybody telling you what to do, but you also, you know, don't have anybody telling you what to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, which I mean, I don't like being told what to do. Yeah, but a lot of the time you need to be told what to do, don't yeah. you? Like sometimes you're kind of like, I don't know what to do. Somebody tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be. Is this right? Have I done this thing right? Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, but but again, it's about, for me, I don't really, I don't really, this sounds a bit, maybe a bit, I don't know if the lib's the word, but it's kind of like, if there's like a, a problem like that, then it's like, okay, I don't want to feel like that. How do I make that not happen? So, you know, then I organize a, a crit with some other artists who are feeling the same, you know, so it's not like, uh, again, it's, it makes it sound easy. It's not easy, but it's just a sort of reflection of many, many years of making mistakes and mm. you know, seeing what works and seeing what helps. But yeah, and, and I think a big one, and I think probably for a lot of people as well who have been working in the same same sort of industry or the same sort of job for for a while and they've kind of maybe achieved a certain thing is mm. that imposter syndrome is like a huge a huge thing which seems like almost you know that it doesn't make sense the sort of more you learn about something the more you kind of feel like you know I'm like, can I even do this but um, it seems to be, yeah. So, it, but again, I just see that as like it's just something that never really. It's not something you can you can think your way out of, or even work your way out of. You just have to live with it, and you know, just carry on regardless. If that makes sense, because it does. Do you work, or do you prefer to work? I suppose you can look at it both ways. Do you prefer working collaboratively or do you prefer to work on your own or do you like to have a balance of doing your own thing and then working with other people? Because I'm also thinking about in terms of your own training and your own development, are you always self-taught or do you like to sort of pick things up from other people and kind of apply those techniques and ideas into what you're doing? Like how how do you like to work? I think my practice has grown so much from collaborating be honest and I do like to kind of work on my own as well I do like to make things on my own and I will sort of sit on my own and work but um a lot of the projects that I'm working on are uh, a collaboration yeah I think it's it's just so beneficial because as I said you get out you know you you have that thing where you know you can bounce ideas off people you can learn skills from other people that that they know or you can even not be responsible for doing that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think when when you're an artist and you you just feel like oh yeah I have to 
write the statement and do the promotion and do this. And, and obviously you do all of that, but the idea that somebody else could do some of that mm. for a project is quite amazing. <laughs> I know a lot of people probably take for granted because when they go to their job, you know, they do their bit and somebody else does, you know, the other bit, whatever it is. But then when you're like the accountant and the marketing person and the content producer and the, you know, curator. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Client wise, has that been a matter of mostly you being really proactive and going out and and seeking the work and finding the people or have you had quite a lot of people sort of come to you and clients come to you with ideas and work and what what's the the balance like is that sort of changed over time or is it being consistent like how does that work for you um yeah so in the first instance it's it was very much sort of applying to open calls um, so, so I mean, I, I set up um, curator space with my partner, who's a web developer, and basically that was, came out of doing sort of applying for open calls, but also doing the curating, which I, I sort of been doing that since '99 or something. But yeah, it was it was very much sort of applying for things and and getting my name out there, or trying to get my name out there. Um, and showing work in exhibitions. But over time, obviously, especially just being based in Leeds and people knowing you and knowing what you do and, you know, using social media to promote what you do, mm. people then start coming to you because obviously, you know, you've been going, if you've been going for quite a long time, then you become more reliable and you're sort of more of a, a known entity. So I very rarely apply for things these days, but I'm also very sort of self-motivated in the fact that I will make a lot of my own opportunities Mm -hmm. so sometimes like so with with the like for instance the high rise you know we apply for a lot of funding for ourselves Mm. sometimes people will commission me but sometimes it'll be very much a sort of self-directed project Mm. so um, and, and then it becomes a mix of both because as I said like they while you while you're kind of working on something, you'll get approached by somebody else. Mm. It kind of fills in those times where you know you're not never waiting for something or or needing to approach somebody because you can just make something. Which I think that is for me that is um, like a huge lesson that I take from being an artist: just the idea that you can just make something happen make something exist you don't have to find it or wait for it Mm. you know Mm. yeah just manifest it yeah it's in my head it can be out in the world that sounds quite magical (laughs) but yeah no you can just make it happen yeah and again like (laughs) i keep thinking you know reflecting on what you said about you know making it sound easy it's not easy but it is doable (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, uh, making something look easy is part of an art, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, that's an art form in itself, isn't it? Yeah. Have you, because you were saying earlier, you know, being in that self-employed mode, it's very much like keep working, do all the work that you can while you can sort yeah. of thing. Do you have the freedom to turn work down or have you had to work up to a point to get that freedom? Or are you still like 
no, I have to do this because it's a job and it's money and, and you know, I can make something of it and I need to do it. I mean, yeah, I, I do have the freedom to turn work down. I do, you know, basically I think, you know, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of people that need that work. So, you know, like for instance, the other day, someone calls me about doing some teaching. It's just basically, it's just not really the right fit for me at this, at this moment in time. But I'm also working with a lot of people who would probably benefit from that opportunity. Mm. So basically, I just sort of said I can pass that on to people that I'm working with, you know, might find that opportunity useful. I could probably try and fit it in and it would be more money, but it would also be taken away um, from an opportunity. I, you know, I've done teaching and I've just sort of been sort of doing two-hour workshops here and there, but then when you do a two-hour workshop and then basically it can take up your whole day, even though yeah. it's only two hours. So then you're like, okay, I need to almost lose money to give myself the time to be able to do something else, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. I, and it's, I mean, it's something anyone with a business can recognize as well, that there's the, you know, or anyone with a job, you know, like there's a, there's the costs of the job before yeah. you're even earning. You know, you've got yeah. to get into work, you've got to pay for your fuel or your bus fare or whatever. Yeah, and you have to take those costs into account. Because mm. I mean, like, uh, well, that's a lot of effort. What's the reward going to be? Yeah. I also think about opportunity costs mm. again, which which doesn't help with focus at all. Because then you're always weighing out, oh, if I do this, what am I not going to be able to do? Um, so it's kind of like, wait, I know you know the the saying, you know, burning the hand is worth two in the bush or something like that. But it's kind of like the opposite of that. Like if yeah. I down if I don't do this, will I potentially get the other thing which will be better? Uh, three birds three birds even. yeah in, in in both hands yeah <laughs> yeah so um which is yeah that again so you know if i agree to something then i'm not going to be looking for other things but mm. yeah i do need to weigh up opportunity cost and again that's something that it's a risk you know mm. because you don't want to turn things down because you don't know when you might need that opportunity in the future but yeah, that's why I think having the opportunity to basically say, oh, you know, I can't help you do this, but I can help you in other ways. I can help you find somebody who can do that, who would probably get more benefit from it is another way to think about it. Yeah, well, referrals always useful as well, because yeah. you, you you get brownie points if they pick up the work and they, they you know, they're grateful for that work and yeah. the place is happy that they've got someone that's in the remit of what they were looking for so yeah. uh yeah it's a kind of win-win for people yeah Hopefully and I, I, it works coming the other way as well yeah yeah no I, i've definitely been referred um for for projects you know where people have seen something and then they recommended me to somebody mm. so yeah i definitely you know think that there's a benefit for just sort of yeah share it sharing it out for them yeah yeah, yeah. So I want you to think back to going into lockdown. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Well, in an ideal world, because I started this 2020, I would have been capturing so much of this, but it was just 
we were locked down. Yeah. Everything seemed closed. It was just like, how do you, how do you get people? I did send a bunch of emails out. I heard nothing back from any of them. Yeah. I just assumed everyone was shut. Um, But yeah, so sort of going into lockdown. So I want you to think about what time you did lockdown, if indeed you did lockdown, and how that affected your workload, sort of work-life balance, all that kind of thing. But also the changes coming out of it, like has anything changed for you? Um, Well, you know, permanently, has there been any changes or effects on your work from COVID that are kind of continuing? So yeah, yeah, just take us through your kind of lockdown journey and just sort of how that's changed work for you. It was horrible. It was was so horrible. For about a week, I thought, oh, this could be, you know, relaxing did you know know what you were going to do though like because I would imagine most of your work is going out into the world yeah (laughs) I mean so um we had curator space at the time so that sort of brings in some income but that was quite stressful because a lot of the people who use curator space are also self-employed artists Mm. so it you know it was it was really stressful to think about how we'd be able to support people and and just generally, you know, I mean, it's not kind of part of the role necessarily, but it, you know, it does obviously weigh on your mind because you know from a personal experience because that's what I do. Mm. Um, so yeah, that that was quite just generally sort of stressful feeling, you know, kind of thinking about the impact on everybody. And trying to be like a rock for people. Yeah. So internally you're going, what the hell am I going to do? Yeah, yeah. We did have um, a very um, ill-fated attempt at producing some kind of remote course platform, mm. which was very sort of quickly, I mean, I wouldn't say cobbled together because I'm not a developer and I, you know, he's very good at what he does, but it was very quickly developed. Okay which kind of worked for a bit and, you know, made some really good connections actually through that. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, what can we do to, to give people the opportunity to earn a living mm. line? So, yeah. So, you know, eventually we sort of, and we didn't charge anybody for that. We just sort of offered it as a, as a thing. And we, but yeah, it was, that was quite challenging. But from a personal perspective, yeah, nothing. I didn't have all, all my work stopped because... Obviously, you do a lot of stuff in the community. Um, I was actually finishing the project at the time. So the multilingual streets, I was over in Manchester. So we'll have to get on trains to Manchester and decide, you know, do we go this week? Do we not go? Mm. Because it was about multilingualism and the, the school in um, North Manchester had or had like new arrivals coming in all the time. Um, again, it was sort of like the really... Yeah, trying trying to decide: Are we being are we being paranoid? Mm. You know, if we if we close this thing down because I think everybody was, and you know, obviously there was a lot of how can we say it like and the gaslighting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, like oh, you know, everything's fine and just carry on and da da da. Just felt yeah, like I'm not. I don't know what to do for the best. I don't. Mm. You know, I. As I said, I've I've agreed to do certain work. I, you know, I'd basically say I don't want to come in. 
Mm. Are they going to be like, well, don't bother coming back then, you know? So it's really, yeah, it was really difficult. So, yeah, I think I locked down on 17th of March, if I remember rightly, which is sort of relatively late, but I think the actual lockdown was like 24th, maybe. It, it varies. I think we've all got different dates in our heads. Um, yeah. I mean, I, ideally, I wouldn't, you know, it would have been before that, but um, it's basically because I had these contracts and it's kind of like, I don't really know, you know, what to do. So, yeah, basically, there were a number of things that had to be finished remotely. But, yeah, but obviously, it was so difficult. So, I'm not really surprised I didn't get any responses in, mm. you know, at that time because I think it was just so overwhelming that it felt like, you know, well, <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. We don't even know, you know, how can we plan for something in the future? How can we, yeah. even, you know, we're just watching people in Italy singing on balconies at the moment, you know. <laughs> Quite bizarre when you think about it. But yes, yeah. about a week I thought, oh, it's a nice rest. And then after that, I was just like, I can't concentrate on anything. Lost any focus that I even had, you know, realized actually that I was, I really, really needed to move and go different places to actually think. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just walking around. Being confined is bad for you. Who knew? Yeah, yeah it turns out. <laughs> I was like, I can't think straight. Uh, so yeah, so but but yeah, had curator space, which we're sort of again trying to f- figure out different ways to to kind of provide services for people um, that would enable them to carry on working in some way. We uh, we were already doing a bursary from that, so we basically um, switched that to some smaller bursaries so that we could support more people with little uh, pots of money and. Yeah, we've higher eyes. Again, like, you know, we're just sort of thinking through all our projects. Um, we had, we just received, we, so we started high rise. Don't want to talk too much about it, but we started it in July 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just had our first big part of funding, um, which we applied for in February 2020. Um, and then we heard back about it and it was like, oh, we want to give you this money. Mm. But obviously, we can't. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was really nice because they actually, I think we were in a, actually a really good situation with that because, and again, I think through having practiced for a long time, we got ourselves in a position where we were in charge of that budget. Yeah. So we had a lot more say because I know there were a lot of people who, who were contracted to do work, but then they weren't in charge of the budget and then that, that budget just disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think from, from, um, you know, any kind of advice perspective, I would say, yeah, it's always good to be in charge of the budget because then you can be in charge of, you know, you can have the conversation with the funders. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and ideally your best place to spend the money because you should know ideally at that point where the money needs to go and what you need to spend on and what's the priority for. Yeah. But yeah, so a lot of funds that were given um, were deferred. Mm. So yeah, that that made 
2021 very interesting because then we're delivering 2020's work and 21's work because mm. obviously you need to live in the meantime. So, you know, sort of living on money that you haven't earned yet and then having to re-earn that as well as the money you also need to live on now. Which is harder because it's kind of like, well, that money's gone and it's spent now. And it's like, yes. well, well, I have to, I have to work for it, but it, it's already gone. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't <laughs> spent. It wasn't spent because we didn't have it. Yeah, but honestly, yeah, still, yeah. Anyway, so it was that, that was it was all round not a great time. I mean, you... that's probably an understatement of the. <laughs> Did you manage to? kind of find work then through lockdown or was it signing on no i got a size grant mm. so i got a couple of size grants while i wasn't while i wasn't able to to kind of go out and earn money but um yeah i mean i Did, would, I, I didn't sign on yeah could you furlough yourself through your business or anything was there any no 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 because i'm self-employed yeah so it's not sort of class I don't think it's classed as furlough it was yeah I mean that was an interesting thing as well it, it really highlighted the challenges well for I mean financially speaking obviously there's like so many other challenges but financially speaking I think it really highlighted a lot of things around the way that people work and earn a living mm-hmm. um, because obviously you know self-employed people really had nothing for a while mm-hmm. so yeah the, the size grants were a good sort of step in the right direction but I don't think they really came up to the same sort of level as the furlough mm-hmm. and because the furlough was given on the basis of what you were now whereas the size grants were I'm sorry I'm saying size I don't even know as self-employed some S-E-I-S-S don't even know what it stands for but they basically were an average of your last three years' earnings. Right. You can imagine, well, 80% of that, I think, which you can imagine is varies widely. And a lot of people who were, so if people had had maternity leave or sickness leave or anything like that, mm. that basically just meant they were so sort of down on their, on their income. Um, and also if you were, so like, I, as I said, I sometimes teach students, um, but in that case I'm employed on a short-term contract. So again, that doesn't count towards any self-employed income. So if people are employed on short-term contracts and then all of a sudden, because, you know, they're not needed, the contract disappears, mm. then that's basically not classed as income, mm. which, yeah, so just so many so many issues with with all those kind of things and you know working out who yeah how to how to be fair about it Mm. um as i said i i didn't like struggle that much because obviously people weren't spending a lot of money you know there wasn't really a lot of money to be you know to spend on anything Mm. so um it wasn't such a struggle in that case but um yeah it i think yeah it was it was uh an interesting time to to just reflect on you know the way that people are valued differently and the way that people you know how 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 people make a living 
and and you know how that's seen. Mm. Mm. And I suppose the why of it as well. Mm. That, that that's the point of this podcast. Is this sort of you know why why are we still working? Why are we working more? We've got all these yeah. machines that increase productivity, and you know we've got all these things that we can automate, and you know most of the world is built. Okay, there's a lot of crumbling infrastructure that needs <laughs> to be prepared and so on, but it's kind of why are we spending so much time working at this point? Yeah. COVID gave us a really unusual chance. Well, some people obviously, but I mean, it's not nothing that 2 billion people were locked inside their homes for yeah. months, months on end. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that we've, you know, we've not even begun to reckon with it yet. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I have to say, I, I missed working. Did it just flatline for you then? Were you kind of a bit like me, sort of twiddling your thumbs, kind of, mm, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I, and just, that was really funny. So, as I said, during COVID, I, uh, I just started painting pictures of dogs. <laughs> There's nothing to do with anything that I do. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to look at pictures of dogs on the internet and paint them. Mm. Um, and that's what I did. It took me a long time. To be fair, it took me a, a real long time to get to that point. So I started making them. I joined somebody's Zoom session, mm. uh, which was like an experimental mark making thing. Mm. Um, again, like this was probably maybe two or three months into COVID or something like that. Like up until that point, it was just like rare or shape for breakfast. Precisely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for dinner. <laughs> yeah. It was that basically that kind of, um, you know, that scene in uh, Queen's Gambit where she's like, just giving up. <laughs> but less, less romanticized. <laughs> um, yeah. So were you... I mean, how much were you crawling the walls? Did you have places that you could get out nearby? Did you have like garden space? Like, could you, were you really confined or could you kind of go out a bit and? Um, well, at the time I lived in Armley. Um, so so I'm um, guessing you were quite confined. Yeah, uh, fairly confined. I mean, there are, to be fair, there was a really, uh, there is still a really nice Polish bakery in Armley. So that was nice. So, you know, so it was basically walk to Town Street, go to the Polish Bakery, you know, call up, um, was it Power Stretches or something, get some hand cream because it's like, how are my hands so dry all the time? <laughs> no, that was a thing. You know, we were just like, what? How often am I not washing my hands? It's <laughs> so dry. Then, you know, um, the Wortley Rack was like a huge thing. Um, did a, a, a sort of half hearted attempt at a couch to 5k, I think, around the wreck. Mm. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I only had like a small backyard, but that was actually like a real, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, a lifesaver. Because, mm. yeah, it was just having that, that little bit of outside space. Mm. You know, my, one of my colleagues who lives in a high rise in a job, she could tell you all about that. But, um, yeah wasn't sort of that situation by any means but yeah I was still very much crawling the walls and in, in terms of you know I'm used to 
working in cafes and you know going out and about and seeing people and chatting to people mm. and, and it was just the yeah just not knowing when it would end not knowing you know and again as, as you said obviously the the added stress of you know when am I going to be able to to work mm. you know I've, I already had projects that I needed to finish that had no focus or concentration I think when you've got almost no deadline, there's no incentives or motivation to to finish something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it was you know at first it was kind of like oh yeah this is maybe two months or something and then it's like longer and longer and longer. Mm. Yeah, and in the meantime, you know we've got projects that we think can you know people are starting to put things online. Mm. Then it, that's like a whole other learning curve in a way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we did have, we had a project, we've got some money to do a project for refugees and asylum seekers. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was sort of a embedding English into creative activities. Mm-hmm. So we were like, okay, so we've got to teach ourselves how to deliver online to people who don't speak English and, and teach them to do this creative thing that they've never done before. Yeah. Basically, we just try to put things off as much as possible. Yeah. Until it became clear that we couldn't put it off anymore and we had to sort of bite the bullet and get on with that. Yeah. Because it was so long and there was a lot of, I think a lot of people were kind of like, well, it'll end soon. They're like, it must end. Like, it was just a cup. It can't go on for another two weeks. It can't, you know. And then other people were like, this is it forever. Yeah. <laughs> this, this now. Uh, so, yeah. So it was e- and it was easy to go between the two extremes as well. Because yeah. you had so much time. Um, I mean, it sounds like you, you had a hell of a lockdown, to be fair. Like, <laughs> it, it doesn't sound like it was a good time. No. So, I mean, well, what do you think it's, it's changed for you coming out of that? I mean, b- being forced to have that much time you know you you're bound to reflect and then not having the work because i would imagine you do a lot of your your own thinking through your work is that fair yeah i mean it must have just been you know like having your hands tied behind your back right well yeah how how has that affected you now are you do you just have you turned into a workaholic or are you kind of like i need to balance things better have you adjusted where you focusing your income generation from what what's changed yeah i think the balance is definitely a thing i think it i mean i I, I say that and probably that doesn't sound like your case you know when i say (laughs) doing this that and the other but i think yeah i i do feel like i'm balancing more i am saying no to things for a start Mm. Uh, but i'm also i think i don't think I wouldn't say I'm a workaholic. Other people might disagree, but I, I think I do actually um, take a bit more time if I'm ill, for instance. Like before, I think, and, and I think it's, in a way, it's kind of going back to how it was before. But um, I think for a certain amount of time, we were kind of like, yeah, we, we can't keep going into work when we're ill. We need to actually you know it's not 
fair on us and it's not fair on the other people around us. Mm. Or at least I think most people thought that. Um, yeah. But I don't know if that's something that's continuing, you know, when I see people and they're coughing in public and, mm. <laughs> you know, spitting or something and you're just like, what needs to happen? Yeah, so someone coming into the call center, into a call center or a workplace or whatever, and yeah. sneezing everywhere. It's like go yeah. home. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if there's the same, you know, willingness to to allow that either. You know, now it's not sort of this sort of deadly virus. I think you know people are like well, but it's you know, still there. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, just uh, last week. Um, my colleague got um, COVID mm. um, and I don't know if I had it. I was ill, but um, yeah. It's all, yeah, yeah. Not great. No. So we'll we'll move off of COVID and we'll go, uh, they're all happy for, for a while. So we'll go from COVID to let's do climate change before we do social media and then we'll finish on Brexit and then we'll move into the, the happier questions. Okay. <laughs> so... In your work, what can you do to raise awareness around or promote adaptation or mitigation of climate change? Is there anything you can do? Is it kind of a consideration for you or is that something that's, I can't really think about that. I've got to just get on with work. I mean, it's definitely something that's obviously, you know, is being an issue for a while but it, it's something that I think is definitely coming more into the subject matter of my work mm. as well as some of the the kind of um, materials and methods. Um, and also, uh, you know, as I said, applying for funding, it's, you know, there are now sections about, you know, how are you going to mitigate this and these kind of things. So obviously that's something that is just very visible mm. uh, in that sort of sense. I think it's it's hard when you kind of make things um, to think. Oh, I'm bringing you know. As I said, you know the the and the brilliant thing about being an artist is bringing something into existence that didn't exist before. But also, as I said, that's that's a challenge because then it's like, oh, this is more stuff. Mm. Do we need all this stuff? Mm. Which, you know, that's how, I don't know, how are you, how do you balance that, you know? Mm. Um, you just become like purely conceptual artist and just, you know, or make things from recycled materials. But I think, again, that's a very particular aesthetic and a particular decision. Mm-hmm. Use those materials. But yeah, so, so yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a constant question and it's a constant challenge. It's just about... Maybe a shift in mindset about you know what your what what does it mean? Because again, it's like uh, I'm thinking about so for the for the um, visiting research fellowship, I'm thinking about um, working with collections, and you know that then that whole idea of conservation mm. or you know it, it it takes on a different meaning when you like. Why are we conserving things? What are we conserving them for? Mm-hmm. Who? How long are we gonna be here? Mm-hmm. But yeah, and then and then thinking about it from a perspective of like a, a lot of ideas around art are around 
sweating your assets. So like you make something and then you can reproduce it on this, that and the other. There's print on demand services and all this kind of stuff. So, but again, then you're like, it's more stuff. Mm. So you can make a living out of selling products or merchandise, mm. but you know, how much more, um, you know, matter is that? Well, I think as well that, I mean, are you aware of Passive House? Do you know Passive House? No. Okay, so it's this like really high building standard, which basically should pretty much be the standard for building houses, really high insulation standard and really good airflow. But one of the things in that, in their design process is that they take the whole life cycle into account. So mm -hmm. they're looking from creation to destruction and like, mm -hmm. so taking it down again and getting rid of it. I think it's moving to a, a circular economy or moving to a regenerative process, you know, like not just producing and this focus on production, but more to maintenance mm. and more to how do, like, how do we get rid of the thing? Mm. You know, like what we, we don't think about the end of things. We think about producing a thing and then oh, it just goes away, but it doesn't go away because the world's round. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's that, like, you know, think about how it will be taken apart. Think about what it's made of, how it comes together, and then think about how it ends, you know. I suppose, yeah, coming back to that question of conservation or collection, you know, most artists don't want their thing to disappear because that's potentially an investment for somebody. You know, most people who buy art, they don't, they want to buy something that's going to last. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, I think there's a lot of, over things that are at odds. And I think, you know, it's similarly with the, you know, the idea of growth mm. is kind of like how much more can you grow? Mm. Because you need more stuff, you need more innovation sort of thing. But even like from, a, you know, using digital or using technology, obviously like I use technology a lot in the various different roles that I do. The impact of that, people were like, Oh, we could just send an email and that would, that was, that's, you know, somehow carbon neutral mm. you know, before they knew better. Mm. So, yeah, I think um, it's, it's basically, it's, I think it's an ongoing question. And, and as you said, yeah, definitely uh, the idea of what the sort of cycle is, what the lifespan of the different materials, where, you know, the, the miles that it's taken to, to get to wherever it needs to be sort of thing. For me, there's not really a simple answer. I mean, I, I get, I'm reminded of them when, when I was doing my PhD, I was really interested in collections, um, ethnographic collections, mm -hmm. uh, and the sort of almost the opposing factors where people were collecting ethnographic objects from certain cultures that, you know, they basically made something to be destroyed or to disintegrate. Yeah. And then this, like, almost like a battle between the curators who want to keep this thing mm. preserved and, you know, the, the sort of makers and the owners of the thing who really need it to not. Mm. But ultimately, it's not going to anyway because everything fades away, you know, mountains, yes. slides, <laughs> um, and is regenerated, you know, yeah. recycled and... Um, so, yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to leave that there for now. Yeah. Uh -huh.
<laughs> Hopefully that's something for someone to ponder. Right, let's do Brexit, as I said, and then we'll do social media. Okay. So um, it's been two years now since we Brexited. What has it done to your work? Uh, what are the brilliant benefits that you've gained or the terrible <laughs> consequences that you've endured or the absolutely no difference that it's made? <laughs> uh, I mean, so, I mean, you say it's been two years, but it feels like a lot it's longer. It's been two years. <laughs> I know, but... Um, I mean, for me, really, it's because it's like, you know, it was like June 2016. And, you know, in my mind, it was all a big joke and it was all a big, oh, yeah, don't be ridiculous, you know, going on holiday and people are like, oh, you know, after the referendum and, you know, you'll, you'll leave, da da da. And you're like, ah, yeah, that's funny. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> So, yeah, um, I was finishing my PhD in, uh, I finished my PhD or I submitted my thesis in September 2016. Mm. So like from June to from June to September, it was basically like just refreshing the, <laughs> the browser. What now? <laughs> what now? <laughs> that did not help. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know, what what now? You know, Everyone the, arguing. Nobody you know, knows anything. From a personal perspective, uh, it wasn't ideal. I remember the, the day after the referendum, I was actually um, delivering uh, an adult community workshop in Chapel Town. And mm. um, we were making, I was teaching people how to make books, bind to their own books. Mm. We went in and it was just, just silence and shock. Mm. And I basically just said, I think we just need to sit and have a cup of tea. Mm. <laughs> so we just basically, and it was like the most British response ever. We're like, shall we make books or should we just have a cup of tea and a biscuit? Mm. And just, you know, cry or just, yeah, say what we need to say. And, you know, and yeah, it was, it was just, horrible yeah mm. Mm. well i i mean it's it, to me it, it's a similar kind of thing with covid it's kind of you you had brexit and it's like okay so everything has changed now we basically just had a revolution yeah <laughs> a bloodless revolution uh well mostly and everything's changed but nothing had changed everything's the same yeah, you know, the same buses running down the same streets and and COVID was similar in that like everything's changed. Okay, the buses weren't running down the streets, but yeah. you know, nothing else there wasn't chaos, chaos outside our windows. Yeah. It was like everything has changed, but really it's all the same except we're we're not going out. Yeah. yeah. I mean um it's a, it's not how an apocalypse should be, is it? In in no. stories and stuff. It's like I mean, everyone should be running around apocalypse. screaming, yeah. Yeah, no, um, uh, so Brexit, yeah, from a, from a personal perspective, uh, I don't think it's, it's not necessarily impacted on me uh, more than sort of the average person, I don't think. Were you uh, mainly working nationally? You weren't sort of doing that much international so, work? or Well, Curator Space is international, 
But again, I don't think that that's really had much of an impact because that's B2B. It's not exporting. It's not. What about supply issues, anything like that? I would imagine you're not material intensive. No. So, yeah, that's that's not really an issue. I think for, it's it's mainly for artists. It's mainly those who sell abroad. Um, so kind of any kind of like tax or customs type stuff is, is a challenge. Hmm. But. So, yeah, from a personal perspective, it, it really encouraged me to focus on learning more languages. Because, mm. mm. as I said, I do, I do the stuff with multilingualism and I'm really interested in, you know, speaking different languages. So that was almost a bit like a, a fuck you to <laughs> the idea of being a sort of separate place so just look. Basically wanted to, I don't know. Or even being more or less, you know, being less cosmopolitan. It's like, it's yeah. nice being cosmopolitan. It's nice to go around and try different things and have yeah. different things. And... So, so yeah. So last year, for instance, um, I went to Germany for a month and did work out there, like work on my work while I was out there for some of the time mm. because I'm not. You know, fantastically wealthy that I can afford to just take a month off work. But, um, you know, it was basically, oh, well, I'm just going to pretend like I live here for a month mm. uh, and just act as if I live here. Um, but carry I, on. Whereabouts were you? Kamstaus. Oh, I don't know. Was so it, it was, oh, it's this big, big lake. Like, yes, the big yeah. lake yeah. Um, called the Bodensee. And uh, it was on the Swiss border. Mm. So if you ever want to practice German, don't go to Switzerland. Because <laughs> they think they're speaking German, but, but they're not speaking German, they're speaking Swiss German. Yeah. But yeah, it was very, everybody was very friendly. Constance is a bit like like a, a sort of holiday destination for Germans. Mm. So it, it's, it's like quite a nice city. Um, but yeah, it was basically an idea of being a bit of a digital nomad. Mm. So me and my partner went and hung out and did some work and then took the train up to Octoberfest. Oh, nice. Yeah. Was that messy? It wasn't that bad. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that that was fun. Came back with COVID. Oh, yay. Um, I think everybody at Octoberfest got COVID. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But thankfully it was at the end. Like, so basically I didn't test positive until I landed back in the UK. So, but yeah, it was bound to happen. Yeah, so I think that from from a, a Brexit perspective, or from a personal perspective, I think Brexit definitely. I mean, I was learning languages before, mm. but I think it it really, I don't know, just gave me that sort of stubborn motivation, which I think is probably something that I, you know apply to most of the things that I do. Basically, when people are like, "Oh, you know, that sounds hard," it's like, "Right, that yeah. sounds challenged." Yeah, you can't do that. I can't. Watch me. <laughs> I don't know. Is that is that a Yorkshire thing? Is that a... I think that's that's just a stubborn person thing. I think that's a stubborn person. <laughs> but I think you need you you also need that kind of you need the conviction and energy to carry it through because a lot yeah. of time, you know when it get when it gets hard you have to have that resolve and the spite of like no I am going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, so, it, that way it's suiting you saying though, and sometimes that, you know, 
can work against you, but yeah, so things. Yeah, sometimes you can destroy yourself doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so talking about the potential to destroy ourselves, let's talk social media. Oh God. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, social media in your work, do you have to do it? How much time do you have to spend on it? And is that a valuable use of your time? Do you see like the actual benefits coming back from social media? Do you see a tangible results or is it kind of something you feel obligated to do and you kind of throw stuff out occasionally? Like what's, what's your working approach with it? Um, I mean, I think like, like most things are basically trying to think about if I'm going to do something, what am I using it for? And so I do try to think quite critically about these things. I mean, I say that, I mean, obviously I've got personal social media, which is just like, you know, cat memes mm. and, you know, ridiculous, ridiculous things that I find that I want to share with people. But yeah, from a work perspective, it's, it's really interesting. I am, um, you know, we're talking about reflecting and sort of seeing how something happened. Mm. I think uh, one of the reasons I did a PhD was because of being on Facebook. Mm. So basically, um, I joined Facebook and then I could see, obviously, coming from MySpace mm. uh, back in the day, we, I could see I was going to spend a lot of time on this thing. Mm. So I need to make sure that I'm doing, using it for something. And, mm. you know, again, double-edged sword, most of the things that I do become work. Mm. because that's I'm a project-based type person and I think oh you know I, I really try to keep things separate but sometimes they just become work because because I'm just working so yeah basically though I'm gonna make this social media thing work for me mm -hmm. so um, it was sort of this would be 2008, start of 2008, maybe. Right. And I uh, set up a Facebook group. I got really into saying I, I do a lot of book, I used to do a lot of book binding. So basically, I thought I'm going to, I'm going to set up a Facebook group um, because I just sort of started making artist books. Mm. Again, so it was between finishing a degree and doing a PhD and realizing, all right don't really have a lot of space to make work, but if I make them as books, then, you know, I can take them anywhere and I won't have to store, I won't need to have loads of space to store them. So yeah, I started making these books and then I thought, I'm going to set up this Facebook group and I'm going to find other people who make books. Um, so I set up this Facebook group called Artist Book Collective and basically just started it, you know, people started joining it from all over the world and thought this is an opportunity to start curating some exhibitions. Mm -hmm. So I curated an exhibition and then my, the person who then became my supervisor came to see this exhibition, who also um, run, uh, runs the um, Leeds International Artist Book Fair or is called the Pages Book Fair mm. at the university. So he really liked it. And then I created another exhibition on campus and he basically said, oh, you know, we want this to be part of the book fair. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, yeah. So I think because at the time he, 
was surprised because there were like people from, you know, the States and China and mm. uh, um, was it China? I don't, I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. But basically like, a, a, you know, a lot of different places mm. who were exhibiting in Leeds and, you know, it was like, oh, how, how are you getting, how are you connecting with so many people? Mm. You know, which was, it seems odd now to think about it, but at the time it was like, yeah, how do you know somebody in Japan and how do you know somebody in Russia? And easier to do because there weren't all the sock puppet accounts and fake accounts and, mm. you know, made up accounts because people that were on it then, there were less people. You were going to real people. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and Facebook wasn't about, you know, or social media in general wasn't about misinformation and yeah. like misdirection and so on. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so that was, so basically I did a few of those exhibitions and it, and it was like, yeah, how I think it was still a bit of a, a revelation mm. or, you know, again, and, and, you know, thinking back to, you know, what we said about, you know, going around and flyering and stuff like that. It's almost just like a continuation of that with different tools. Mm. Like basically like, how do I find people that I don't already know? who might be interested in this thing or how do they find me? Mm. So just sort of using those same principles. Mm. And yeah, and basically at some point, this person then approached me and said, oh, we really want you to do a PhD and um, we can help you get the funding to do it. Mm. And you went, yeah, sure, that sounds good. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. How, how was the PhD? Again, yeah, it was... Really, really interesting, challenging, varied, and then I had to write it up. <laughs> then I had to do the work. Yeah, yeah. When you yeah. were finding things and you and you, you know, sort of experimenting and and reading and all this collecting and mm. all that stuff, and then at some point you have to stop doing that and you have to make sense of it all. And that's the challenging part. But yeah. Four, four years it took me, but yeah, it was that, I mean, that's the job in itself, mm. which is, you know, you get paid to do it. Mm. Well, yeah, you, you get some funding, whether yeah. it stretches the whole way or not is. Uh... Well, no, the funding, <laughs> the funding was for three years, but um, you can't, well, I'm not, I'm not sure now because that is, so they finished in 2016, so I have no idea. I think they do like you to finish in three years. Yeah. Then, but yeah, so. But, you know, being an artist at the time, I was like, I'm getting paid regularly. Um, so I was just able to save some of that money mm. for the first uh, year anyway. What was the workload like? Were you, were you okay with, did you have the time to take on that level of study at that time? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. To be honest, it, it was um, a college studentship. So basically I was doing a PhD in my own work. Mm. Mm. So, like a PhD in myself, which sounds like not a thing, but um, yeah, but it's knowledge production and it's like production, yeah. yeah. And what better knowledge is there than than you know experiential practice? Yeah. So it's like, it, yeah, it's basically all around. Um, it was called um, souvenirs from the British Isles, which was supposed to be about um, using auto ethnography um, as like a an a approach to exploring collections but then because it because it kind of came out just after brexit then sounded like 
or it's really parochial. Mm. Like, got to have me a Brexit. <laughs> you made me sound like never. <laughs> Is there, there's a weird tension with it because there's this, from a climate perspective, there's a, you need a, a an international, global resource management architecture and infrastructure. But then from a social, political level, we need to be more local, mm. locally producing and so on. And there's this weird, like, I think that I, I, I'm going off on a tangent now, so <laughs> just, just bear with me. No worries. Um, I think that, for example, like the categories of left and right have collapsed mm. because you've got left-wingers who talk about right-wing talking points and right-wingers who talk about left-wing talking points mm. and everyone's all mixed up and everything's all intermingled with, with each other. And I think you see that tension with this sort of local and there's like a need for locality and making things smaller and more about, you know, the immediate mm. group. But Like uh, 15 minute cities, for example. Yeah, that kind of thing, which again, you know, that's something that's been turned into a talking point, but it's largely US based. It's like most European cities are designed for walking mm. because that's when they were designed. Yeah. They've been changed afterwards for the car. Whereas in the US, they were designed for the car and it's a total nightmare. Yeah. Um, so, but then that's something that's been politicized. It's like, oh, we don't want 15 minute cities. It's like, well, you do actually. That's probably the thing that you do want. You want yeah. local businesses and local shops and local amenities. Yeah. Who doesn't want that? You, know, you don't want to go into town or into a, a a, a parking yeah. you know, we don't want to, a retail have to park. go into town yeah like or, or drive to a retail park yeah i think i i don't understand the the problem with it i think yeah look i mean I, I feel like everywhere should have those local amenities mm. you know like armley was really great for being very close to town mm. but i feel like it shouldn't be just about being able to get out of arbley Mm. That, you know, there should be, and then there are sort of obviously various different bits and pieces, um, kind of that are in only, um, it's just being able to spend money there and go to the pub there and stuff like that was a, a bit of a challenge. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, um, but again, there with, with Armley, a lot of that, you could say a lot of that's caused by the roads. Like how busy Town Street is, and then Stanley Road, and that intersection going up there by what used mm -hmm. to be Mike's Carpets. So, yeah, but there's, and it's really densely populated. So it's kind of all the services are kind of oversubscribed, but there is a big, you know, there's a community spirit there. And yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of stuff going on, and the Town Street is healthy with shops and so on. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of strengths, but then there's difficulties with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've just noticed it's starting to snow in as well. Yeah. So that was, that was a bit of a diversion, but I do think there's this, it, it, you need to kind of reclaim a nationalism without it being tainted with nationalism. Kind yeah. Of I think, I think, um, but yeah, also from a, yeah, from a, from a climate perspective, you know, food miles, you know, you want kind of to, to support sort of, you know, British farmers and all that kind of stuff. 
I'm going to go into the last question, which okay. is a change question. Um, so if you could change any three things about your work, you can be as realistic or unrealistic as you want on this. So you could change any three things about your work. What would they be? I honestly, I really don't know. I mean, three things is quite as well that's it it's like one thing is fairly easy but three things is hard well i don't know i think one thing is one thing can be difficult as well yeah yeah i think anything because um because you can change your work yeah (laughs) so if i if i want to change it i just do so if there's anything that we haven't covered yet that you want to talk about or kind of highlight, flag up, um, or if you just want to give out your socials, where people can find you, find your work. Um, yeah, so over to you to say whatever you want. Um, so I do a lot more on Instagram, lately, trying to at least. So yeah, I am Believe the Artist on Instagram and on Twitter, but I try not to do too much on Twitter. If I can, but mm. um, and Louise Atkinson, artist on LinkedIn and Facebook. I also run Curator Space, so that's Curator Space and all the usual uh, culprits. Although that is mostly automated, mm. try to automate that as much as possible to cut down on the admin mm. of that. And occasionally, um, the High Rise Project. Uh, or high, uh, leads high rise on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're, they're my, I think three main socials. But yeah, it's it's quite a lot of work. Although I've got a system, I've just started implementing the system these days, where I'm trying to use it as a motivation to do work. Because again, it's like especially with personal projects, if it's um, you know, there's there's no deadline that nobody i'm not having to fulfill a contract Mm. then this is maybe something that gets put put on the back burner Mm. so i'm trying to basically post more regularly to a schedule on social media so that i'm basically i'm like oh by then i need to have produced x so that i can share it Mm. but it's not so much for the promotion it's more for the accountability Mm. does that make sense is it how's it going is it are you keeping to it so i was i've got ill on friday so this week's been a bit of a write-off but i'm using it as a sort of week to sort of take stock and reflect but yeah sort of nine weeks so far i think mm. which i was quite quite pleased about and i'm posting more on linkedin which i feel a bit weird about but um because I, I just don't know you know, I read LinkedIn posts and they all seem to be, you know, high value, you know, social media. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do for you. And I'm like, I don't talk like that on social media. It, it's changing. It's changing. Yeah. You're seeing more kind of different posts. Um, yeah. But I think, uh, I think it needs to. I yeah. Say so it's in part this is a reaction to kind of that this sort of LinkedIn presentation as if everyone you know which you saw to a degree with the response to COVID as well there's this sort of like the only worker in people's minds 
it's the office yeah. so like just people go into office and you're either like grunt level or yeah. you're high-flying hustler you know getting all your doing doing all your hustle stuff working 80 hours a week doing yeah. god knows what and it's this as, as if people don't do other jobs as if mm-hmm. there aren't other ways to work as if there aren't other careers as if there aren't you know other ways of skinning the cat um mm-hmm. and like so ideally this should be showing that there are other ways to skin a cat you know like whatever a human activity is happening somebody's got a job doing that somewhere yeah so a, a great one on instagram the other day of uh panda cuddler that's a oh job. i've seen that <laughs> that would be a lovely job for a little bit because yeah. after a while you're a bit like okay you have pandas now yeah. well i wasn't gonna go that dark but <laughs> no i mean just like yeah I've, I've cuddled enough pandas now yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I, I, I have done this no not pandas. get rid of them they're getting rid of themselves they're you know the appallingly evolved animals <laughs> food that doesn't give them enough energy and they won't reproduce so well i mean yeah so whose who's yeah. fault's that that one's not our fault i mean <laughs> the habit the habitat destruction is but the, mm-hmm. them not eating and not reproducing that that's on them i did once see a video of a panda eating an ice lolly though which kept me going for a little while you know the dark days of COVID. Very useful. So a bit a tiny bit of dopamine. <laughs> that's that's all that's how we live now, just you know, for the next dopamine hit. Yeah. Keep us going. <laughs> Basically, yeah. The the, the 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 to the next panda video. Yes. Next oh, dog video. Next <laughs> dog painting. Yeah. No, I mean that that was a surprising a surprising turn up and it, I think it was a little bit um it was quite it's always quite funny to sort of just stick up some kind of thing which is like how she can draw mm-hmm. yeah because uh, well that's the thing if you don't say and I know this from a you know from a, a, a consumer's perspective let's say mm-hmm. like if you see someone who calls themselves an artist and they're like doing all sorts of different work until you can see that they can actually draw or paint, you, you like, yeah, you're not a real artist though. <laughs> and then when the, when someone can, you know, especially when someone does something that's like abstract or a little bit kind of more, more modern, let's say, um, people will be quick to kind of write you off and then you, then they see them do some actually good fine art or technical drawing. And it's like, oh, you know, oh, they can do it. They have got chops. <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. You're only allowed to be an artist if you do that, even if you don't do it for <laughs> your actual job. That seems... I can do this. I just choose not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you did fine art, so you, you must yeah. be able to. No, that, not necessarily. That's not what that means. Fine art is more about the concept than the technical skill but yeah I can draw and I can paint but I choose mostly not to well there's uh, I mean there's plenty of people that that do that and you know we're doing those those yeah roles. but I, there are plenty of artists who can't do that yeah uh, and they're still artists as you 
<laughs> you don't sound convinced. No, no, I'm convinced. I, like I have quite a broad definition of art. Yeah, I would, I would say that this is an artistic project more than a yeah a, a business or academic project or anything like that. It's I would like to think of it as ethnography, but and as oral history and and so on. Whether other people would see it that way is a, a different matter. But that's another thing with like you mentioning imposter syndrome. This mm. thing of you know that even like you said, calling yourself an artist, like that's the thing that you need to get over because mm. to a degree you're kind of like, well, I, I, only other people can call me an artist because mm-hmm. they, they have to judge. And if I was a real artist, then they would see my art. <laughs> um, whereas calling yourself an artist is like, well, what, who are you? Who are you to call yourself an artist? And it's like, well, I'm me, and I'm gonna do. Some, yeah, I'm gonna do. You have to call yourself a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it took me till I finished my degree to to be able to call myself an artist. Which, um, but that's just from my own perspective. So basically, I think you make an art, you're an artist. Mm. That's the end of that. Thank you again to Louise for being my guest. Thanks again to all my guests. And thanks to you, Leeds, for being my subject. Remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to Working Hours. Tell a friend, sell a friend on it. Work for peace and plan with kindness. Okay, that's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. If you want to be on working hours, you should be either in Leeds or from Leeds and you don't have to be in work to be on working hours. You just need some life experience and an opinion. Send an email to workinghourspod at western-studios.com to get involved or give feedback on episodes of Working Hours Or if you'd like to make an anonymous appearance in the Working Hours podcast, email westernstudios at protonmail.com. Please, please do chuck in anything you can to help Working Hours grow. Go to ko-fi.com forward slash working hours and join me there for £3 a month. And or you can make any one-off donation of whatever amount through that site. Or you can go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to support working hours from as little as a pound a month for loiners. There's also an outlander tier at £5 a month for non-loiners and a £12 a month big time tier for anyone who's flash. If you're happy to make a regular contribution but you're priced out by a pound a month, you can go to LibrePay, that's L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y dot com forward slash Western Studios forward slash donate and donate from as little as a penny a week all the way up to 89 pounds a week and people say i'm pessimistic again you can also make one-off donations through libra pay which you can do either publicly or anonymously remember that the first series of working hours is now on youtube go to youtube.com forward slash at working hours podcast 4618 Working Hours is produced, recorded, edited and published by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain, and was taken from museopen.org. Follow Western Studios Leeds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore leads, and on LinkedIn linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios western studios leads can help you realize your podcast for only 25 pound for an hour of podcast work 
Need podcast production, recording, editing, or any podcast admin doing? Need it all doing? Or maybe you want or need a podcast presenter or co-presenter for your podcast project. For only £50 per hour, I'm more than happy to take that on for you. Email makemypodcast at western-studios.com to get your podcast made. I am available to third sector organisations, small to medium-sized businesses, and individuals who want to make podcasts or other digital audio content. Want to make some fundraising case studies? Want to show off your expertise in your field? Want some help creating your podcast and format or just some support learning to podcast and getting going? Whatever your podcast question or need, get in touch with Western Studios Leads. Go to westernstudios.com and use the contact page to drop me a message about either working hours or about your own podcast project.